Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Rob. We're a writing team from New Jersey with a passion for film. An aggressive, all-consuming passion. Well, whenever we see a news article we find, like, insane, uh, immediately it's... How can we make a movie out of this? Every episode we read a crazy article from different sources and tumble down our own rabbit hole. Discussing cast, crew, and plot. And then we hash out a pitch for a feature film. So, join us as we BS about movies and ask the important question... What do you got? What do you got? All right, so let's get down to the brass tacks, which I don't really know what that means because those two words don't work together for me. Any idea, Rob? Yeah, there's a history behind the statement, and it's 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 not interesting enough to get into. Oh, that's the, that's the motto of this podcast, I think. The the most important thing, uh, I don't want to get into the story, but the most important <laughs> thing is that it's not tax like paying your taxes. It's tax like pointy things. Oh, like T-A-C-K-S? Yes. Oh, brass tax. That's how you have to say it. Tax. Ladies and gentlemen, and anyone in between, thank you for joining us. This is episode 38 of What Do You Got? Rob and I are joined uh, separately today, as we have been in the recent past. Are you in the studio today or no? Still don't have no, I'm, I'm in my bedroom. Mm. Rob's in his bedroom, everybody. You can all <laughs> imagine what that looks like. It's not good. It's not good at all. <laughs> Honestly, it's it's all right. It's not. It's nothing like, oh my God, I would never step foot in there. Unless it's gotten progressively worse. No, I meant me. Oh, well, we knew that. I just meant the room in general. <laughs> <laughs> what laugh was that? Who did that sound like to me? I don't know. Was that you like a Barney me? Rubble, I think? Hey, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, <All> Barney? Right. <laughs> uh, this episode, this article is pitched by Mr. Roberto. So, uh, Rob, I'm going to let you go down this rabbit hole um uh spoiler alert folks this article is world war ii related uh i know we've done that many times in the past but hey there's a lot of friggin' world war ii stories out there um and i have a feeling because when rob sent me this article he also um sent me a message and i quote that said i'm gonna surprise you with this one purple evil emoji um (laughs) I'm not sure what that means yet. We're gonna find out together. You but could have said also... like like demon emoji or nope, something. Purple emo. <laughs> purple emoji. Purple demon emoji. Um and then yesterday I sent back to him, uh, I'm excited for the episode. I have such a damn good pitch. This may be my favorite ever, actually. And then Rob sent back purple evil emoji. Um <laughs> Okay. <laughs> You know, it's also not specific enough because there's two. There's one that's smiling and there's one that's like, Bleh. well, obviously it's the smiling one. Rob's happy and excited. So, Rob, <laughs> take it away. I'm rarely happy. So <laughs> he has that tattooed on his arm. <laughs> um, as, as I often do uh, in the depths of my morbidity, I was reading about maritime disasters. <laughs> um the first, the first one that I was originally thinking about sending to you was about um, a uh, ferry sinking, uh, traveling between two Scandinavian countries. That it's a terrible, harrowing tale of this thing sinking. Hmm. Uh, 
because uh, water got in through the windows and it was a ferry. So all the cars shifted and the thing oh, capsized. God, and, when was uh, that? Like, uh, this, the, the reason I didn't do it is because this was in the 90s. Oh, okay. uh, and that's a little too close for that kind of disaster. I really don't want to yeah. make a movie with of people with living uh, relatives. Um, so I, I then was kind of clicking around and I, I stumbled on to uh, a, a different article than the one I sent you that has more information, but its headline was basically, uh, why has no one ever read about the worst thing that ever happened at sea? That's a great title. Uh, it's, it's something along those lines. And I'm like, okay. Uh, <laughs> so our, our article is from Smithsonian Magazine. And uh, of course, it being the Smithsonian, it phrases that a little better. This is the deadliest <laughs> disaster at sea killed thousands, yet its story is little known. Why? So this is the story of a luxury cruise liner uh, through the 1930s and 40s called the Wilhelm Gustloff, uh, which really the reason this stood out to me at first is because it was a Nazi pleasure cruise ship. Yeah, it was Nazi pleasure cruise. <laughs> um, they had this this program of like, uh, uh, it's, it's hard to explain because nothing they did make sense, but it was it was like this program of like getting everyone hype about Aryan culture and you know you guys deserve a nice time at sea and uh, all these different. I, uh, the program was called Strength Through Joy. Oh God, um, I'm I'm sure it sounds worse in German. Um, <laughs> and of course, the boat was named after the uh, the leader of a, a Nazi group in Switzerland who had been. Uh, assassinated by a jewish medical student the year before which in and of itself that's pretty fucking rad (laughs) (laughs) um uh and so it it served as a pleasure cruise ship for a long time there's a picture of of hitler like you know performing a deck inspection and uh Um, that's just fun just so we're aware strength through joy translates uh or or is pronounced in german as kraft durch freude Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> At least I think it's Duch. It's D U R C H, and from the German I took uh, way back in high school, Duch. <laughs> I believe that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, it was also uh, once it, it kind of the war started in earnest in thirty nine. The ship was converted into I think first a hospital ship, uh, very very useful as we saw during the coronavirus when that awesome hospital ship showed up in New York. Uh, then it became uh, just a transport ship for military goods. Uh, they didn't do a good job with the upkeep of it because, of course, they didn't. It was the Nazis. <laughs> um, and then once the Russians started absolutely fucking Nazi Germany in the ass, uh, <laughs> a lot of people were like, "Oh, it's the communists! They're gonna come in and they're gonna and they're gonna they're gonna slap everyone in the face and they're gonna take our women and all the children are gonna grow up thinking everyone should have things it's gonna be terrible so people started just fleeing to the west uh as the the red tide came rolling in and so the ship became an emergency nazi evacuation ship (laughs) no longer (laughs) pleasure cruise um and this was kind of a major turning point in in the way the nazis approached things because you actually legally were not allowed to flee from the red army uh because it looked bad and what's now now that there's a huge boat taking people away it's it's for the first time i think the nazis acknowledging that they were going to lose <laughs> um so the ship was built to house 
Um, as with cruise liners in the early 20th century, whether it be the Titanic or, or the ship, the Wilhelm Gustloff, uh, it was only built to house less than 2,000 people. Um, by one account, there were almost 10,000 on board. Yeah, I can't from the top image of the Smithsonian Magazine article. I also can't kind of gauge the size of the ship. It looks small. Yeah, I've been on a bunch of cruises and just looking at this thing. I'm like, that's like a third the size of a right. Royal Caribbean. Yeah. Ship. And, and granted, I mean, the, you know, cruises nowadays are, are absolutely gigantic. They're like cities on the sea. Yeah. Um, like this the Titanic like was deck. like, yeah, the Titanic was like one fourth the size of an average cruise ship today. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this thing looks like only, it's only one deck taller than the Titanic. And if you've ever yeah. seen those infographics of Titanic next to a just an average cruise liner today, it's it's absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was this uh, absolutely desperate push for uh, uh, German citizens and collaborators, really, and and other people, including you know, I, I don't want to make it seem like this whole boat was just full of goose stepping Nazis. Uh, it was people who were legitimately afraid of, of the Red Army for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there was this desperate push to get onto the ship. People were crammed into any nook and cranny they can find on it. The cargo hold and in first class and second class and third class. People were in the crew quarters. I, I it, it, it's almost It almost became a cattle car. Uh, mm-hmm. which is richly ironic given what they did to the Jewish population of Europe. Very good point. Uh, it, it's, I'm trying to be sympathetic. <laughs> yeah, but Because it's but, civilians. But like, and there I'm, are children. There are women and yeah. children, absolutely. But yeah. we can have sympathy for them, but no sympathy for Nazis. I, yeah. I take a hard stand on that one as a Jewish man. Yeah. No, no, no sympathy for Nazis. Yeah, it's... Uh, well, it's a fine German word, and it's called Schadenfreude. <laughs> um, yep, and there's a song about it in Avenue Q. <laughs> um, so and the thing somehow is still afloat with but, five times the number of people on board that there should be. Real quick, for anyone who doesn't know, Schadenfreude literally means uh, happiness at the misfortune of others. Yes. It's the best word. <laughs> it really is. It's like, oh my, it's like when you see someone fall and you're like, oh God, but that was funny as hell. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, a poignant sort of counterpoint to this is it set off into the, the ocean with no escort because everything was falling apart. <laughs> uh, as it was sailing that night was Hitler's last radio address to Nazi Germany. Uh, as he, quote, commanded the nation to gird themselves with yet a greater, harder spirit of resistance. I expect all women and girls to continue this uh, struggle with utmost fanaticism. His feudal exhortations were carried on the airwaves and broadcast on the Gustloff itself 12 years to the day when he formally assumed power on January 30th, 1933. So this this thing really does bookend the, the power of the Nazis. And Hitler himself. And it's funny because to me, the word fanaticism or fanatic is never used in a positive tone. Like, it's never no. really a good thing. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Philly fanatic, you asshole. <laughs> Especially because you look like a creepy homeless murderer. Yeah. <laughs> Which is saying something for a city <laughs> that also has gritty. <laughs> um, oh shit, I lost my place in the article. Sorry. Um, so uh, there were, of course, uh, uh, now Soviet submarines all over the place. Um, and if you're a Soviet submarine captain and you see a brightly lit 
giant ship cruising the waters, uh, that's a pretty easy target. <laughs> so they torpedoed it three times. Three times. That's uh, not even a double tap. That's a triple tap. Yeah. Uh, at this point in the war, each torpedo on the ship was transcribed, uh, sorry, inscribed with messages conveying the Soviet's desire for revenge for the suffering inflicted on the Soviet populace by the Nazi forces earlier in the war. Uh, these hit the uh, crew living quarters, the swimming pool area uh, that housed uh, members of the Women's Naval Auxiliary, and finally the engine room and lower decks, uh, dealing the ship its fatal blows and trapping many occupants with no means of escape. Uh, so now there's this absolute mad scramble to get off of the ship and into the uh, ice-cold waters of the North Sea. Uh, even more so than the Titanic, there are, of course, not enough life rafts. Uh, <laughs> there weren't enough life rafts, period, because it's a Nazi boat in the 40s. Uh, but there were, of course, not enough life rafts for all these people. Uh, there's an account from a 10-year-old survivor uh, who saw people, many of them children, trampled to death in an effort to get up the stairs and onto any available lifeboat. Mm -hmm. The ship was tilting towards its port side, so none of the lifeboats on the starboard side were accessible, uh, which sounded very familiar to me. Uh, this is something that happened uh, pretty recently with the Costa Concordia cruise ship disaster. Oh, yeah. The same thing happened. People couldn't get to half the lifeboats because of the way the thing was tilting. That was, that was what, like 2014 or something like that? Um... A little earlier, we were still in college. Oh, okay, so it might have been like yeah. 2010, 2011. Yes. Uh, I actually knew someone who was on that boat. Really? Yep. Angelo. Uh, so a lot of people jumped, and then they all tried to get on to a lifeboat. And, of course, they pull you over, and they get hit in the head with a paddle, and they get hit on the hands. Was gruesome. And that's some heavy-ass wood. Yeah. And most of them died. Uh, mere feet separated the spared and the doom. Perhaps the decision not to take any more people and leave them to their fate was the hardest I ever had to make, the captain wrote. Here was comparative safety inside the boat. On the other side, certain death. Uh, so it took about an hour to sink. Uh, the water was absolutely filled with bodies. Um, unfortunately, most of them children, uh, whose life jackets caused them to float upside down. They found only one survivor in the floating graveyard, and it was a little baby who was tightly wrapped in a bunch mm -hmm. of blankets uh, on board a lifeboat surrounded by dead people uh of the passengers who had boarded the previous day a mere fraction maybe a thousand had survived um and that's the the somewhat harrowing account of the sinking of this ship so real quick let's put this into perspective a little bit at, at most accounts from the article they say that there could have been at least nine to ten thousand people on the ship only a thousand of them survived that's about eight or nine thousand people who died uh, for those of you who want to put this into perspective, the Titanic carried 2,200 passengers and 1,500 of them died. Yeah. So it's like five Titanics. It's uh, when, when you read this, you're like, I, I, I have no idea why this hit in pop culture and the other one didn't even before the film. Um, mm -hmm. And then you find out that this was not an isolated incident. Um, yeah. It was not the first ship to go down in the Baltic uh, during Operation Hannibal. Weeks later, the General von Steuben was also struck by the same submarine captain. Uh, in that spring, uh, the sinking of the Goya would add another 7,000 to the Baltic toll. Jesus. And then in uh, perhaps the worst tragedy of that period, the Cap Arcona was sunk by British forces 
with 4,500 concentration camp prisoners on board. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, why, why they insisted on trying to move these people all the time, I don't know. It's, it obviously was not working. Yeah, it's a tremendous... Like, uh, it, they were such bureaucratically bizarre people that, like, as they're losing, they're still trying to figure out the logistics of moving entire camps. Yeah. It's, uh, like, even in the back of your head, you're like, do you not have something better... <laughs> To use the goddamn trains and boats for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, so that brings us to the conclusion of the article. Um, it's an interesting one. It's a good read. Smithsonian is obviously a great place to read uh, information and things about history, um, as we are one to do. Um, so this was Rob's pitch. So I'm going to send this straight on over to my buddy. And Rob, what do you got? Yeah. So uh, I tried to avoid doing, strictly speaking, a World War II movie because mm-hmm. uh, we've done it. That was our first episode, and I think mm-hmm. we, we did a, a heck of a job with it with the story of Freddie Overstegen, uh, who I've seen come up on Facebook a couple times in like the last year, which has been cool. Mm, we should reshare that article. <laughs> we should. <laughs> um, so I, I, I tried to think about different movies I've seen that have dealt with this kind of material that I've enjoyed, uh, whether it be like the boys from Brazil or, mm. uh, that one Hitchcock movie, that's name is escaping me about them in South, uh, South America. Um, and then I, you know, when I saw the ship was uh, a cruise liner on the, the North sea, which, uh, contains, you know, you can sail from Germany to Denmark and Norway and all these different uh, countries in Scandinavia. Uh, I do have Norwegian heritage, so I wanted to do something cool with that. Uh, my movie is called, let's make sure I'm saying this directly, uh, Draugen 79. Okay. It's D-R-A-U-G-E-N 79. Okay. Uh, it does take place in the late 1970s. And uh, the movie will open with a recreation of the sinking of, of the Wilhelm Gustloff, uh, but it's not about that. Uh, the movie essentially is going to be a revenge movie about two uh, Norwegian people, a brother and sister whose parents were in the Norwegian resistance to German occupation uh, and who were partially responsible for the sinking of the Wilhelm Gustloff. So are uh, you, you are using the actual ship uh, it's as, a, as, a, as an introductory point, but like yes. it is the actual, you're not changing it to like something that happened in the seventies, et cetera. No, the okay. main action of the film takes place in that, but that's the backdrop that their parents uh, helped signal uh, the Soviet submarine that sunk this ship. Okay. Um, in all in an attempt to uh, kill a key Nazi leader, uh, I'll, I'll give you my cast before I get into the meat of the plot. Um, okay. So there's these two Norwegian actors that I like uh, that I saw on Game of Thrones and Westworld. Uh, the first is. Uh, if you watch Game of Thrones, he plays Tormund the Giant's Bane. Uh, his name is Christopher Hivju. Uh, is that a... um is, is uh, Tormund? Which one's that? Since I'm in the middle of that show now, mm-hmm. I wonder if you've seen him yet. He's one of the wild things. He has uh, a giant red beard and red hair. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's That's he's him. he's with uh, Jon Snow and the redhead girl. Yes. Yes. Okay. He's the one that like doesn't trust him, right? Uh, I think all of them don't trust him at this That's point true. Uh, That's true. that you're at. But yes, uh, he's uh, he's a wild man, and I think he's a really fun actor. 
uh, and a, a Norwegian actress named Ingrid Bolso Berdahl, uh, who was in the movie Hercules with Dwayne The Rock Johnson and is also on Westworld. Oh, okay. Um, as uh, the the uh, Nazi general in the present day of the film, which is the late 70s, uh, I went with Patrick Stewart. Hell yeah. Uh, and the reason I did that is because my director of choice is Jeremy Saulnier, who uh, directed one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years, uh, Green Room, mm. uh, which is one of the final roles, unfortunately. Uh, uh, his name is uh, slipping my head. I don't know why. Um, oh, my God. You're thinking of... Um... <sighs> uh anton um anton yelkin yelkin i can i can never remember the last name uh who was a wonderful actor um that's a really cool movie about a punk rock band that gets trapped in a neo-nazi bar also with patrick stewart yes uh who shocked the hell out of me in that movie oh yeah he's everyone in the movie is fantastic it's a it's a very good film it's very gory for those of you interested who want to see it just be warned it is a very gory film yeah yeah there's some great kills and some very upsetting kills mm-hmm uh, so in the, the spirit of, of the Wilhelm Gustloff having been a Nazi pleasure cruise liner, uh, the reason we are jumping forward, um, almost 30 years, no more than 30 years, uh, in terms of the film is that a bunch of former Nazis and collaborators are meeting back together on a luxury cruise ship in the North Sea. Uh, at which point they are going to divvy up uh, quite a lot of stolen gold hmm. uh, that was taken from occupied territories during the war. Are you just uh, pitching that... another Jackson Reinhardt film? <laughs> no, you're going to be <laughs> surprised when I make my left turn. Okay. Uh, and so our two Norwegian protagonists um, have sussed this out. Uh, their parents uh, uh, died, unfortunately, and well, as well in the Wilhelm Gustloff sinking. They weren't able to get off, uh, ultimately because of Patrick Stewart, uh, who was uh, escaping with a bunch of cronies as well. Um, so the action takes place on this ship uh, in a very stormy season on the North Sea, as these people are triumphantly coming together to split up their ill-gotten gains. They've waited a long time, so no one would know uh, what's going on. And as this revenge plot begins in the middle of the storm, they see a lifeboat uh, that's floating on the sea uh, with a single man aboard uh, who they're confused to see looks like he's just like covered in seaweed. Uh, and the lifeboat is one of the lifeboats from the Wilhelm Gustloff. Who you're doing a ghost ship. Uh, I am. And uh, that's the reason I've called this movie Dragon 79. Uh, 79 being the atomic number for gold, uh, as these Nazis are getting into. Uh, a draugen is a Norwegian folklore creature. Uh, it's this undead thing that uh, floats around on the ocean in a boat. Uh, it looks like a man covered in seaweed who lures or pulls people to their death. Hmm. Uh, I, I love I love Scandinavian folklore, and I saw that, and my mind went spinning. So as the ship it. begins to list and capsize, uh, much the same way as the Wilhelm Gustloff, I even want to repeat some shots, uh, making much of the life rafts inaccessible mm -hmm. uh, as the Nazis are trying to salvage this gold. Uh, 
uh, as the Norwegians are trying to kill them, uh, the ship, they will also have to contend with undead Norwegian folklore creatures on the ship that are killing indiscriminately. Does your movie basically take place on the ship? Yes. Okay. Awesome. A hundred percent of the action is is at sea. Yes. Hmm. Ooh, I love it. I love it. (laughs) And uh, yeah, that's what I got. It's a great title too. Um, so that is the, uh, the bones of my movie. Uh, Nicholas, what do you got? All right. So this is kind of funny. We did very different films. Um, but we also kind of did the same film. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> excuse me. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how to explain that. Basically, I got, there's a couple movies that I absolutely adore that are uh, sci-fi films. So spoiler alert, my movie is actually a sci-fi movie, which technically yours kind of is too. Um, So there's a movie that Rob and I both adore, uh, which is a Denis Villeneuve uh, film called Arrival. Um, There is another movie uh, by Alex Garland. I absolutely, one of probably my favorite movies of all time now is Annihilation with Natalie Portman. While I was reading this article, I kind of got a feeling of like, I think it's mainly about how it was the Nazi ship being used to basically like, we're going to lose this war. Let's get the hell out of here. So a lot of different Twilight Zone episodes came to mind, Mm. uh, like to serve man um, and uh, third one from the sun, things like that. Um, A lot of those episodes came to mind. So my film it, it takes place in the near future, like maybe 10 years from now. It, it's kind of indiscernible, um, very similar to like Arrival or Annihilation, which possibly could take place present day or maybe five, 10 years down the road. Uh, my film takes place in uh, the near future uh, where the world powers are kind of at a standstill years after a major war. Um, so everything's kind of quiet and dismantled. It's not post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic in the terms that everything's destroyed but it is post-apocalyptic in terms of countries don't really exist anymore uh it's kind of just you live in a territory and that's all there is for you Hmm. um when suddenly uh, a group of scientists discover off the uh coast of iceland so very up towards the north pole a landmass that has never been seen before, has never been mapped before, and suddenly just appeared as if overnight. So they see this landmass and they get together a group of military men and scientists to go basically explore it. Hmm. Um, and what ends up happening is a team's assembled to, to travel by ship and investigate the unknown landmass. Um, but as they arrive, they discover things that aren't scientifically plausible. Not possible because it's happening, but basically what happens is like everything seems to be sort of out of whack, uh, including like the weather where like you'll have a snowstorm at the same time as like a heat wave. Um, The gravitational pull is a little bit off. Things are kind of free floating as well as moving in different directions uh, and time seems to be completely random as well. Um, So they get onto this landmass and they don't really know what they're exploring. Um. But as they go through it, we discover that the reason this island is here is it's actually a convergence of temporal space. So basically what happened was a black hole 
like opened up and kind of forced this section of the earth to time travel hundreds of thousands of years into the future. So this island that opens up is actually a part of earth hundreds of thousands of years into the future that got through a portal turned into our character's present day. So there's a section of earth that is literally the future and they're going to explore it. So we're going to see things. um, I I haven't decided if there's going to be like people or like a, a humanized colonization or anything. I kind of figured it would be more along the lines of just like jungle um, and uh, plant and animal life that feel alien, but they're actually just highly evolved animals that we have today. Um, and that's basically what my premise is. It's about a group of people who who get on the ship to go adventure and explore this new landmass that turns out to be uh, basically the future uh, that's ported to the earth. Um, yeah so my my director of choice is a french director named uh uh matai tori he's brand new to me uh he directed a movie so i'm doing 31 days of halloween for those who don't know if you don't follow me on instagram call me sam seaborn on instagram um my personal um you'll see (laughs) check me out on the gram (laughs) not that i use social media at all except for certain things um but I'm doing 31 days of Halloween. So we've created a list of movies to watch the other day on the, I think it was the sixth um, on, I think it was, I think it was Tuesday uh, on Tuesday. I watched a movie called meander, which is a French sci-fi horror film that was unlike anything I've ever seen. And it was incredibly weird and incredibly strange and incredibly beautiful. Um, it is directed by Matai Turi. Um, he actually is, mostly known as an uh, AD, uh, an assistant director in Hollywood. He's worked on a lot of huge films, including like Inglorious Bastards and stuff like that. Um, but the, the premise of that film is very interesting. It's without going too far ahead. It's, it's about a woman who gets basically kidnapped and thrown into a series of tubes where she has to try to get out. And every 11 minutes, uh, the, basically the section behind her gets destroyed. So she has to keep going to survive. Um, there's so much more to that movie. It's very beautiful. I highly recommend it. I was talking to Matt about it the other day, actually. Um, but anyway, that is my director. Now all of I choice. can picture is someone in one of those brightly colored hamster tunnel mazes. <laughs> You're not entirely wrong. <laughs> um, but that is that is my director of choice. Um, my cast is how many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I have seven people. Um, the captain of my ship, who is also I'm not sure if he's also scientists or military, but he's something. Uh, he's not just like the ship captain. Uh, will be played by Yahya Abdul Mateen II, um, who I absolutely adore. Uh, he's in the new Candyman. He's Black Manta in Aquaman. He's in Baywatch. He's in a lot of stuff. Watchmen. Um, Watchmen as well as Doctor Manhattan. Um, one of the then I have one, two. I have two scientists. Uh, one played by Dylan Baker, um, who's a character actor you have seen in multiple 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 things uh most obvious you would know him from if you're listening is uh probably trick-or-treat he's the principal he is also the lizard in the amazing spider-man uh the first movie with andrew garfield uh no no i'm sorry the lizard was (laughs) reese whatever his name is he was the lizard that never got to be the lizard he was connor's in spider-man 2 i apologize yeah, he was in the Raimi films, but he all never of got the, to... 
yes, become all a of the Spider-Man movies converge for me. Um, <laughs> my other scientist is played by Tayana Paris, uh, who is Maria Rambo in WandaVision, um, if you've seen that. Then I have a United Nations rep who's there to kind of like, not United Nations because there are no nations, but like a representative of the times that we're in uh, to kind of just like, you know, kind of be PR basically. Um, That's going to be played by Amy Ryan. And then I have three military people. Um, The leader of the military group is going to be played by Woody Harrelson. And he's going to have two military reps with him. Uh, one played by Gael Garcia Barnell. Uh, Gael is a Spanish actor. Uh, you've probably seen him in a lot, but his most famous movies are probably Babel with Brad Pitt, uh, The Motorcycle Diaries, which is a beautiful Spanish film about Che Guevara, um, and a very, very indie movie called Dot the Eye that I absolutely adored growing up. Uh, and then the final military member is played by Andy Allo. She is from Upload, uh, the TV show on Amazon Prime with Robbie Amell. Um, I haven't, I haven't uh, checked that out. Is that, uh, is that a worthwhile watch? It's absolutely worthwhile. It's very good. Um, and I think they just finished or just started shooting season two. Um, so I'm very oh, excited. Cool. Um, it's, it's a very good show. It's very funny, very well done. People are going to be bound to compare it to the good place, but they're, they're quite different shows. Um, so I, I go into it with, without thinking it's just supposed to be the good place part two. Um, but that is my cast. Um, and the title of my film is uh, Invariant, which means uh, basically there's no change of form of physical laws under a transformation. Uh, so basically it's the, it's, uh, it's the opposite of what is actually happening in my film. So Invariant means that there's no change of physical laws, whereas uh, everything that's happening... So you're a liar. Planet... <laughs> that guy's a phony. Um, a phony. <laughs> uh, but in my film... Yeah, the landmass is basically like it's it's not it's not a cohesive piece in time and space. So like random things happen, which is very similar to Annihilation. If you've seen it sort of just because Annihilation isn't exactly a time and space thing. It's actually more of a bending DNA type thing. Spoiler alert. Um, Have you seen Annihilation, Rob? Yeah, um, I liked it. I didn't like it as much as uh, Ex Machina. I actually still haven't seen Ex Machina. I need to. That's the one with Alicia Vikander, right? And Oscar Isaac. Is I could have sworn we watched that together. No, no, that's one of the. I think that's one of the ones when we lived together that you tried to get me to watch constantly. I just never found time. Hmm. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I've maybe never it was one. Matt. I don't know. It could have been Matt. Very well. Yeah. Um. But yeah, maybe that is East. that is my film. So the interesting part about this is that we kind of made similar movies, but they're very different movies. So this is going to be fun. <laughs> okay. um, I mean, off the I, top of my head, I like your I like your more sci-fi bent to what's going on. Because uh, we don't do that a lot. Yeah, I, I yeah. When I get a chance to go sci-fi, I tend to I don't know. I feel like which is weird because like I like sci-fi, but I'm not like the biggest sci-fi genre fan. But I feel like most of my sci-fi pitches have been more of my solid pitches on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'm hearkening back to the, the, the vinyl episode with X-ray. Uh, well, I don't remember what we ended up calling that one. Um, but I, I have a, I feel like we could easily do both of these stories and place them in quote unquote, the future, um, 2030, 2035, whatever. Um, 
because we can definitely do something along the lines of the Wilhelm Gustloff crash and then sort of maybe blend that into the space and time continuum type stuff that I've got going with my island. Yeah. Maybe um, the crash wasn't, maybe it's not the actual Wilhelm. It's like another ship from the forties, fifties or whatever that crashed into something and was never found. Um, my, you know, and my and pitch for that back. would be, there's always been this like writing and speculation about uh weird shit that the Nazis were up to, whether it be mm-hmm. the occult or science. Yeah. The wonder weapon program and all these like conspiracy theories and things. What I always seized on younger when I was reading all of this outlandish stuff was something that was allegedly called the Glocka, which is the bell, uh, hmm. which uh, some Polish journalists had, had put forward, uh, had something to do uh, with the manipulation of time and anti-gravity uh, that they were building down in a mine. And um, I'm wondering, perhaps... If we do your more futuristic thing, mm-hmm. uh, to I think tie those two things together, to have an expedition to a piece of land that shouldn't be there, mm-hmm. um, ba- uh, background of the world aside, I'm I'm wondering if some people find that to be the perfect place to retest these theories and bring forward this sunken ship from the moment it began sinking to the future Hmm. because there's something on board that they want. Okay. So hold on. Explain that a little bit more to me. Are you saying that we have the ship actually travel through time or they find the sunken ship and bring it to the Island? I think I, I think it would be uh, it would be fun to bring the ship forward in time. Okay. And almost to put a time limit on it, uh, it is a, a sinking ship as they bring it forward. So it's actually sinking while it travels through time into like the year twenty thirty or whatever. Yes, and it was supposed hmm. to be this scientific expedition to this landmass you're describing, where time and space do not work normally. For whatever reason, I don't think we have to explain it. I don't no, yeah, really I don't like so. it when movies explain things. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but there are a couple people on this team who are well aware that this island being kind of where it is uh, in the northern seas um, could be the perfect way to do that because they know there's something on board that ship that was very important. So you're OK, so. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit lost. So you're saying that the ship travels forward through time. What was the purpose of the ship in the 1940s? Exactly what it was, as we described uh, in the story, that there were people evacuating at the end of the war on this ship. Okay. So they're they're going through, and they suddenly get transported through to the future on this island. And then are you saying a group of expeditionists um, who discover the island go there and see the ship? Uh, that's that that's saying? that's one approach or it could be the approach that there are a few people on that team who just happen to know that this ship sank very very nearby and they're wondering if there's something they can do with the properties of this island oh to bring okay. it I... forward so that they can get at what it was in it 
you know, it maybe it was, uh, you know, destroyed in the sinking or is unsalvageable. Okay. So like, I like Ooh. that. Because yeah. there's a there's there's a great moment we could do where like as they board the ship, they realize it doesn't look like it's been sitting underwater for 80, 70, 90 years, whatever. Like mm-hmm. it's not fully rusted. It looks like it just crashed like two or three years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it like crashed off the uh, the coast of the island. And for whatever reason, the island disappeared or something. Or maybe it wasn't there. Maybe the island. I, I mean, whatever. Again, we don't need to explain that stuff. Sci fi is more fun when you don't try to explain it. So. It could be something along the lines of like the ship crashed, the island appeared and brought the ship forward with it. Um, And then they discover it and they know that there is stuff on that ship that was being worked on uh, to, you know, whatever, further science or just gold, things like that. Yeah, Um, it's it's a MacGuffin. It can be whatever. It can be gold. It can be a piece of technology. It can be a fucking painting. It doesn't matter. It's it's the golden suitcase. Um, So I I but the thing is. I really like your Norwegian myth zombies. <laughs> oh, the um, dragon, yeah. So I want to find a way to try to get something like that in there as well. <clears throat> hmm. Because we definitely can. We can play along the lines of through space and time. Um, before we do that, why don't we focus in on cast and crew uh your director was who again for the director of green room yeah jeremy saunier uh what else has he done do you have anything off the top of your head um that's you know i just i just ran with him just because i liked that movie and i had patrick stewart on the brain and it, it came together but um yeah he's been pretty fringe i can't think of another yeah, he, he did. Oh, well, I saw I saw Blue Ruin, but that was before Green Room. Okay, he did a couple episodes of True Detective. He's in pre-production right now for a movie called Rebel Ridge. Ooh, good um, title. Yeah, with Anna Sophia Robb and James Cromwell, James Badgedale, Don Johnson. Damn a lot. Um, I the the thing is, we can go either way. We both chose very new directors, um, who don't have much to their name. Mm. Uh, so either way, we could go. I'm willing to go Green Room just because we both have seen that movie and I understand the style. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd be good. Oh, right. Imogen Poots is in that movie. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> I just love saying Imogen Poots. <laughs> is that how you say the first name? I think it's Imogen. I don't think it's Imogen. I've I've never like tried. So <laughs> <laughs> it's it's. It's a scary name. Like, <laughs> it takes balls to say it out loud, yeah, and I applaud yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty. At least that's how I've pronounced it since I saw her in the Fright Night remake. So, <laughs> yeah. So if if you like the dragon concept as a, as a water entity, mm-hmm. um, you know, if we do if we do the sinking of of this boat at the beginning of the film, um. We could do it in a way, if it's pu- if it's pulled out of time and place by this island that's also kind of traveling. To the perspective of the very few survivors in the water, it being dark as shit, the lights on the ship have gone out. Okay. It's nighttime. It could look like something suddenly emerges from the water, and takes the ship with it. And okay. If you don't know yet what you're seeing it looks like something came up out of the water and just took a boat 
leaving just a few rafts and, and all the people floating in the water. And that seems at first like it's something monstrous. So you're talking about this in terms of the 1940s? Yes. Okay, so people who saw the crash or the sinking. Yeah. Okay. And uh, whatever Scandinavian people were on the boat just, you know, are, are freaked out of their minds and just keep repeating, you know, repeating that word dragon because mm-hmm. that's, that's the only perspective they have is something came out of the sea and, and took the boat and took people with it. That's good. I like that because that, that also doesn't like we don't have to pigeonhole ourselves with zombies. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of just the mythology of it. Yeah, that's good. Um yeah, so we have let's let's focus on so we're gonna go uh d- director, we're gonna use Jeremy. How do you do you how do you spell? Uh, as, as I look at it, uh Saunier, uh S A U L N I E R. Okay. He he might he might pronounce it Saunier or something. I'm I'm not I'm not sure. And your cast of characters, you had three, right? You had the guy, the girl, and Patrick Stewart? Yes. Um, I like your cast a lot, and we are kind of going more in that vein of a team. Okay. Um, I'm willing to push push around some people for sure. I kind of mm-hmm. want a Mogan Poots in it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm good with this cast if you want to just stick with it. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. Uh, okay. it, it, it fits the style more. I'm on YouTube right now looking up how to pronounce this fucking name. <laughs> Please let me know because I'm curious as well. Um, so we're going to just stick with my cast. You're right. Emojin. Oh, it is a soft G. Yeah. Okay. Isn't that what I you were saying? No, I was saying I'm Mogan. Oh, I can't even keep track of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Amy Ryan, Gael Garcia Bernal. Um, so where do we go from here? We have this group of, I guess, scientists and military pe- uh, personnel who are exploring the island. And as they explore the island, the idea is that one of them or, or many of them have the idea to, hey, I think that ship sunk around here. Or maybe they see the ship. I don't think it should be like, hey, I heard a, a ship sunk around here. Let's see if we can grab it and put it into the future (laughs) um so i think we can have it where like as they arrive maybe they see it and that's when they're like i don't understand what is this and they look it up or so you know it's the future and shit they got like tablets and stuff that can just look up that stuff it's the present day can do that we we have that now Um, (laughs) (laughs) you Um, used to sell these products (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah it's crazy like have you heard of an ipad it's pretty insane um so we have them and they they like see maybe they just see the name of the ship and they're like uh that's how come we haven't heard about this if this ship just crashed in the last year or two and they realize the ship crashed in 1940 uh 1945 uh and then they're starting to be like okay well that that's also a good tell sign for them to realize that time is off here you know mm-hmm. that's a good way for them to understand that so Ooh, they like that. yeah they find the ship excuse me <clears throat> They find the ship, um, they board it. Maybe it's maybe it's now not like completely underwater. Maybe it's like up on the coast of this island. Mm-hmm. Um, they board it and they notice whatever is on there, whatever we're going to use, gold, diamonds, scientific equipment, whatever. 
uh, research papers. And as they're going through it, what, what else happens? Are we, is the ship the catalyst for this film or is it just an, like a, a side plot basically? Hmm. Because they need to explore the whole island. Um, and I'm again, I'm thinking the island's small. It's not crazy big. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's like, like smaller than Staten Island, you know? Mm-hmm. Nothing crazy huge. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> smaller than Staten Island. <laughs> <laughs> Little town of Staten Island. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of a way to, to make this into some sort of loop in a very Twilight Zone-ish way of like, yeah. ha you made this happen all along. Yeah, yeah, um, which is very arrival as well. Yeah. So if if the MacGuffin is, is some piece of Nazi tech that uh, was meant for manipulating gravity, which is, has a lot to do with time, of course, um, and that... Uh, being accidentally triggered during the sinking had something to do with it being pulled along with this island mm-hmm. uh, and our more nefarious members of our team being here solely for the reason of that piece of technology um, trying to think if they like you know if their comeuppance in this uh, as as the team falls apart is is that they use it and they wind up in maybe this incredibly distant future where the land of the earth has shifted uh and where this island is from uh and that they are now in a loop of traveling between where that island is from in the distant future mm-hmm. when it was drawn into the past uh in the 40s and back to our present day time period and it's become an inescapable recursive loop for them. Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, the whole, like, a hell of your own making thing is very Rod Serling. <laughs> yeah, super, super. Um, so the question becomes, how do we end it? Mm-hmm. Do do some of them die? Do we... Because the idea for me was very evolved animals and stuff, but that's kind of after Earth. So I don't know if I want to go that route. Yeah, Um yeah. Maybe maybe it is a barren island. It could be plant life and stuff. Oh um, yeah, definitely. Um, but we have to find squids. a way. Squids. To... <laughs> no, no squids. I hate squids and the octopi. future. The future will be squids. No, the future will be octopus. They're gonna take over the world. They're yes. smarter than us, <laughs> and I hate it. Um, we could... this arms my penis. <laughs> What's <laughs> that one? My other penis. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it, octopi. <laughs> um. I think we lose two or three people. I don't think we kill everybody. No, we, no. Don't, we don't go final girl. Yeah. Um, I think. If, yeah. If this is an island that is not like, you know, uh, tethered to normal space time anymore. It's like, we got to get off this fucking island. Yeah. No more to do here. I want this. I want this. I want this. I like, I like that sort of treasure. The Sierra Madre notion of. Yeah. This, this place brings out the worst. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, in people. Yeah. It's, that's not bad. Yeah, no, I like that. So we kill a couple of them, maybe like Dylan Baker, because I feel like he has to die. Um, <laughs> um, maybe like Tayana uh, Paris, and maybe Woody Harrelson is the last one as like the leader of the military section. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that way we lose 
the way that I have it is we lose both of our scientists and one in the military head. Mm-hmm. Um, but that way we lose some people, maybe Gael Garcia Bernal, uh, you know, people die. Um, but yeah. the question is, where do we end? Do they just leave? Does the island go away? Oh yeah, it, it goes away. I think uh, in, into that loop. And that, that can be our final kind of tag of the movie. Maybe it's just that report by Amy Ryan to her. With a couple of them. Get, yeah. With a couple of them getting out. Yeah. The loop is, the loop is closed. It's not a problem anymore. It's kind of like a, it's a really dark way to look at it. If we have it where like one or two of the characters don't die, but are left on the Island and are stuck in that eternal loop. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. That's, yeah. that's exactly what I was thinking of. That it's is that, terrifying. Yeah. The ship is, uh, you know, always sinking. The island is always moving. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, it's so terrifying. Um, I love it. Are we going with Invariant? Are we going with Dragon 79? Are we going with something else? Well, if we went with Dragon, we dropped the 79 because it's not about gold or the late right. 70s yeah, anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, Invariant is, is good. I like uh, I like the notion of like an unchanging concept, but it, yeah. it is very much a changeable place. I also am just really proud of that title. (laughs) Good work. Good work. (laughs) Um, Awesome. I think we have a really cool sci-fi film here. Yeah. It almost feels like what they were, (laughs) what they were leading up to with the, with the half-life series, but they never got around to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I only played a little bit of half-life to one of the remasters or something. Actually, no, I might've played the original back in college. Um, but yeah, I like this a lot. I think this is a really interesting one. Uh, it's a strong, interesting premise to to do. Yeah. Um, I'm just like psyched for the notion of this shot early in the film of like this very large shape appearing next to a ship and then disappearing yeah. with the ship. Yeah, kind of <laughs> like it looks like it might be a kaiju, but it's just like kind of an island because it comes out of literally nowhere. Yeah. It's not like coming up from the ocean where like volcanic yeah. ash has created it. Pitch so it black. kind of, yeah, it just kind of like creates this like giant storm or something shows up and then immediately disappears. Yep. I love it. It's a great, great imagery. Um, awesome. Everyone. Thank you for listening. Um, uh, for, for, I mean, you're listening to this now, obviously, so it doesn't matter, but for the future, just remember, we are now releasing every other Saturday, not every other Thursday. So for the weekends, um, you can listen. If you're going out for a nice drive, you can listen to us in the <laughs> car. Um, before I throw the plugs in and everything, Rob, do you have anything you want to talk about? Uh, nope, that's about it. All right. Well, uh, as you all know, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, email us at wdygpodcast at gmail.com. We say this every episode, but we continue to ask if you have any pitches or you want to pitch something yourself, please do. I think I'm going to post from the account on Facebook today about people who can send in pitches, audio pitches, or just send us articles or movie ideas. You have a couple paragraphs or something. We'd love to do a listener's episode. Um, so I Mail don't think. Bag. Yeah. Uh, next episode will be 39, which means we will be announcing who will be the guest star for episode 40. Um other than that, I think that's basically everything. It is indeed. So here in the future, in the present, and in the past, I've been Rob. I am and have always been and will always be Nick. And that could potentially be what we've got. <laughs> what Do You Got is recorded live at the Cape Swoosh Studios in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Our theme song was written and performed by Trevor Campbell. 
Additional music is provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. And our wonderful logo was designed by Gabby Weiss. You can find her on Twitter at, at Gabby Weiss. 